you know, one of the things about um, listening to you guys introduce yourself is um, I'm reminded how much smarter you are than I am. All your crazy, important titles that you guys have. Um, so I'm really going to depend on Panya because if you guys decide to ask me questions, I'm just going to pick one of these smart titles that you guys announced to have. And if you guys can go ahead and answer the question that's, that's thrown at me, I would, I would greatly appreciate that. Um, Dusty, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about this weekend about really important biblical things, but when you see God reach down and, and touch someone's life, um, it, in my opinion, it doesn't get any better than that. So, And if anybody doubts God's real, I mean, he, if he can save a Chicago Bears fan, <laughs> I mean, that, that has to be God. So, all right, pray with me real quick, guys. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. Um, just grateful to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together to learn more about you, to hopefully understand more about you. Father, we're bringing a lot of burdens to the table. And uh, we just ask for some supernatural help, Lord, that you would help us lift those burdens, help us to focus in on uh, on something that is really important. And uh, God, uh, I pray for every one of the marriages that are represented here, Lord, that you would bless them, Lord, that you would have your perfect way. And uh, that we would all be able to stand here at the end of the day and, and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, Lord, bless this time. Protect them from anything that is not biblical. And uh, make communication be clear. In Christ's name, amen. So let me ask a quick question. Um, Paul makes an interesting statement in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, uh, to the effect, it's better for a man to be single than to get married. So let me ask a question. How many people here are married, have been married, or want to be married? So nobody took his advice. Okay. All right. So we're all screwed. Got it. All right. Um, If you guys open your Bibles, we're going to talk on Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. They're also printed. If you don't have a Bible, they're also printed in in the handout. Just as far as format goes, um, we'll, I'm going to talk a little bit. Um, I'm not going to. We're going to bounce around quite a bit. We're gonna, there's a couple other verses I'm going to bring into the into play, and and I'm going to have Dusty read those, so you can you can follow along back and forth, or um, if you need just if you want a copy of all the references we talk about at, at at the end, just let me know. I'll send you my outline that has them all detailed for you. So, however much involved you want to be, that's that's up to you. But I'm going to try to say, I'm going to try to leave my opinion out of this. So if I make some statements that, that don't sound right, or I, I should have a verse to back up what I say. So um, um, you can stop me at any point, and, uh, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll clarify any questions you guys might have. So make this interactive. I have four and a half minutes worth of materials. So if you guys want, we can be done here in about seven minutes, or... We can, we can interact a little bit. Um, I want to start, I want to start as we look at Matthew. Actually, before we go there, one more disclaimer. Um, marriage is a very, there's two perspectives. One, from a biblical perspective, the topic of marriage itself is not covered very much in the Bible. The topic of marriage is only found in a few different books. Few paragraphs here and there, a few state verses here and there. But if you look at the pieces of marriage, 
when you think about all the different aspects that go into marriage, then you're talking about quite a lot of material. But I wanted to, I, I just want to take a disclaimer and say I know in a group this big, marriage it could be a very, very painful thing. It could be a very scary aspect. There could be a lot of wounds or hurt. And, um, and I know as I did my study on this topic myself, you know, I, I kind of approached the subject thinking I, I had a great marriage. And, you know, it's amazing when, when, you, when you study intently the Word of God, you know, what I thought was a, you know, about yay big difference between the man I should be wound up being the, the, the Grand Canyon. So I just want to be sensitive. If, if um, I know that this is a very hard thing. I know that this is, uh, we're going to talk about some hard things today, but Jesus says, the, thing, the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. All things are possible with God. And I think when he, what he's talking about there is when we're trying to become the man that God wants us to be, God's our helper. He'll help us get there. So, my, where does it say that? That says Matthew twenty five twenty three. I'm sorry, that's not correct. Mark ten twenty seven. Mark ten twenty seven. So, my hope is that we will be challenged and encouraged at the same time. So, okay, so let's go to Matthew 19. We said in the beginning, you know, Paul says it's better not to get married. I thought it was interesting. Verse 10 on Matthew 19 says, uh, after this little dialogue Jesus has back and forth with the Pharisees, Verse 10 says, The disciples said to him, If a relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. And uh, it's funny, Jesus doesn't disagree with them there. So, again, this, is, this might be, we're going to talk about some hard things, and that's okay. Um, but we can be encouraged too. Trevor, am I done at, where are you, Trevor? What time am I done? So, 12 minutes. Okay. All right. Okay. Verses 4 through 6. And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. But therefore God has joined together, let no man separate I thought this was interesting. I thought this was a good definition of what marriage was intended to be and how God describes marriage. The interesting part about this is the Pharisees, who were opponents of Jesus, and they were looking for areas to challenge him, looking for areas to prove him wrong, take away the authority that he was spoke with, um, started in verse 3, and they started with the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And... Uh, he doesn't answer that question till later. What he does is he gives the answer or his definition of what marriage was intended to be. And he says, have you not read from the beginning? This is what God intended for marriage. So as I looked at these verses, I thought, the question I asked myself is, how can a, how can a man who is a husband be faithful with the institution or his stewardship of marriage to such a degree that he can stand at the end of the day before God and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
So that's the paradigm I approach this in. And um, I found four different observations that I'd like to share with you guys out of these verses. And we'll interact with them and, and go from there. It's just funny, that, that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I, as, as I speak to men out there, it's hard. I, I have yet to find a Christian man who would not say that's the cry of his heart. Um, and I will say at the, at the beginning, we talked about how God is going to be our helper. But I would say in the beginning here, as we start, that that has to be the cry of your heart. If this is hard, like the disciples and Paul says it is, then one of the cries of your heart has to be you want to hear well done good and faithful servant before before uh, when you meet Christ so I think that as life comes at you and as marriage gets challenging we all have our war stories we all have our wounds um, what's going to get you through and I think uh, just personally speaking the desire for to hearing that will help you okay First observation, um, he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Observation number one, we are created with a purpose, and part of that purpose is marriage. Dusty, will you read, if you guys want, we can, we're going to flip around a little bit. You can stay here, you can join us. But Dusty, will you read Genesis? If you guys want to go to Genesis chapter one real quick. And talk about what he's referencing there. So, 126? Yeah. Chapter 1, verse 26, please. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. Okay. So God created man with an intention. He doesn't tell us everything as far as why he created man, but one of the things he does tell us is that he intended for us to rule and have dominion over earth in the likeness of him. If you think about that, you know, what an amazing thing it is that the creator would do that for us, to create us in his image and give us a privilege of of uh, ruling over the earth. You know, I, I, when I think of it, I think of the psalmist that says, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? That's the God and creator we serve. So that's one of God's reasons for creating mankind. What I'd like to do is narrow that down to talk about Adam and Eve, the purpose for Adam and Eve, and then ultimately the purpose for us, or a purpose for us as we approach marriage. So, uh, flip over to Genesis 2 and verses 15 through 18, please, Dusty. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Okay. God was very intentional with Adam and Eve. 
notice as you look at this from the paradigm of purpose that God was very intentional with Adam's purpose. In other words, he gave him uh, his occupation, which is cultivating and keeping the garden. He gave him a zip code, which is Eden, and he gave him expectations. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Yes? There's so many references to getting knowledge and wisdom in the Bible. Agreed. Com- comments about that, since that's a little bit opposed to what the initial proclamation was. My initial proclamation of? Go ahead, clarify. Uh, don't take from the tree of knowledge? Not your knowledge, Not your proclamation, but God's. Okay. So you're asking why yeah, the sources seems, of That wisdom. seems like kind of a diametrically opposed viewpoints. Yeah. Yeah. As far as what the tree of knowledge or the tree of... Um, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil was exactly... That's one of the, that's one of the points I'm going to make here. From a, from a purpose paradigm... You're right, there are many sources of, of knowledge. That, what I can tell you was that it was not the tree of right or wrong. It was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, my impression, I didn't do a lot of study on, on this aspect of it, but my impression is that God's saying, I get to define what's good and what's evil, not you. And to your point, yes, there are many different aspects of, many different sources we can take our, our wisdom and decision-making from. Yes? Is it, uh, isn't the, uh, the tree of knowledge, you know, the knowledge of good and evil, I mean, that's just knowledge of sin. So we're not really talking about knowledge, you know, don't, don't expose yourself to knowledge versus seek knowledge and wisdom later in the Bible. We're really talking about, you know, in the Garden of Eden, this tree represented sin. Because as soon as Adam and Eve ate of the apple, they realized they were naked. They ran from God. They were separated from God. And, of course, the thing that separates all Christians from God is sin, or all humans from God. You know, I find it interesting that God doesn't really detail exactly what that tree is. I mean, I can speculate with you, and I think there are some pretty good speculations out there, but I think that's one of the points I'm making. He told him not to eat it. Um, And he was very clear that you shall not eat it or you'll die. So I don't think there was any problem with understanding what the expectation was. But one of the points I want to make is that God was also very not clear on many other areas. Um, one of them being, what is it? Why not eat this? Um, so from a point of purpose, God was clear and yet not clear at the same time. He, wasn't, he didn't give him all the answers as far as, how about even, you know, he gave him the job of gardening, gardening the, the Garden of Eden, tilling it. He didn't tell him how or which way or exactly what to do. At least the Bible doesn't record those areas. 
So the answer to your question is I, I'm not 100% sure what that tree actually represented. Someone might be better equipped to answer that. But the uh, but he was clear with that. He said, you shall not eat it. So Adam was not given all the details, and he wasn't even given clarification whatever they meant. How about the concept of dying? That was a new concept for him. He didn't tell him what that meant. Did it mean spiritual, physical? Did it mean right then, right later? Those details were not included in the original commandment. But God was clear with his expectations. Do not eat of it or you will die. Interesting that God gave Adam his purpose. And then, read verse 18 again for me, Dusty. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Interesting that, that God gave Adam a job to do and a purpose and then said, It's not good that he's alone. Let me give him a helper. And I think that's very relevant when we look at it from marriage, that we have a helper that God gave us to help us complete our, to help us finish our, our purpose. So in the New Testament... The Bible speaks to our purpose in 1 Corinthians 12. So, like Adam, God speaks to us regarding purpose. So, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 18. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. Yeah, just as he desired. So regarding purpose, God's word gives us the answers to the question of, so regarding purpose, you have who, what, where, why, and how. The Bible gives us the answers to who and why. Okay? We're God's slave, and we exist to glorify Him in eternity. Individual purpose, as in the different parts of the body, that's taken by faith, and that will answer the questions of what, how, and where. So why is this important? A faithful husband must define purpose for himself and then help his wife use his give his God-given helper to help him accomplish that purpose. So, if you are to stand up and say, "I am going to be the leader of this family, I'm the God-given leader of this family," a natural question that could be asked is, "Where are we going? How are we going to get there? And why?" Most men do not have the answers to those questions. Most men do not discover their unique purpose and they risk wasting their life. A couple applications for you real quick. If you don't define if you don't understand your purpose, how can you hear well done and good and faithful servant? Well done what? 
if you don't understand your purpose, how is, what are the chances of your wife and kids understanding theirs? So I think when it comes to marriage, one of the important must-haves is, is a thought process about who we are, who you are, where is your marriage going, and how are you going to get there? It's worth thinking about those questions. Because we're going to find out later that it's, it's the wife's job to follow you. So, okay, a couple applications, then we'll come up for your own questions. There in the back on the book table is, is a little book titled Purpose. Grab it and go through it with either another godly man or with your wife or with both. The tool's there. Grab it. But I would also encourage you that you would pray that God would help you understand your purpose. He designed Adam for a reason. He designed you for a reason. He said he placed every, body, every member of the body just in the body just as he desired. And he'll communicate that to you if you want to know it. And then finally, just tell him you'll pray, you'll pay any price to have it, to have that understanding. So, come up for air. any questions regarding purpose from a marriage perspective. Okay. All right, next point. Back to Matthew 19, it says, He made them male and female. Observation from, uh, from this part is that God expects you to be a godly man. And he has very specific expectations on what that looks like. It's interesting, you think about it, what is, what is a man? It sounds like a silly question on one hand, but if you look at the commercials that are out there today, they are, especially the consumer products companies, they're profiting tremendously because we don't have the answer to that question. One of my favorite commercials is uh, Barbasol, Shave Like a Man. Think about that. I mean, seriously. So is it that you're not a man if you don't buy their product, or is it that there is actually a way that you're supposed to shave that equates to manhood? And I can see myself standing in the aisle looking for shaving cream, like, I'm a man. I guess I should get Barbasol, you know? So let's. What I want to do is I want to take a, a, a quick glimpse at what the Bible defines defines manhood as, because it does have uh, it does have application in our lives. Okay, First um, Corinthians sixteen, verse thirteen. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Act like men. You, know, you look that word up, it means to play the man. To show oneself to be a man or to be brave. Doesn't give a lot of definition. What is, act like man is to play the man, okay? So I looked up some cross-references from those, uh, from those verses. And there's nine, there's nine of them. And instead of going through each one of them, I'll just kind of give you some words that jumped out at me as I read the cross-references off that verse. Words were brave, strong, courageous, mature, soldier, diligent, faith, discipline, purpose. 
I think the point that God's making is he has an expectation of what manhood is. Our culture, our wives, our employers might have a different definition. We might even ourselves have a different definition. But the point is is that God has a definition of what manhood is, and we should care to go after and get it. So, according to being brave, uh, one of the things that is the definition was brave. And I looked that up in Webster, and I thought Webster was had a, a great perspective. It said, brave means to endure or face unpleasant conditions or behavior without showing fear. It doesn't say that you're not afraid. It says that you stand up and face unpleasant circumstances without showing fear. It's a quick application. Don't let media, culture your friends or your wife, tell you what it means to be a man. God is the author, and he's the one that defines that, and nobody else. He's the one that's going to ask you, what did you do with that manhood I gave you? Another application is don't be afraid of your wife. It's interesting. Don't show fear. (laughs) Don't show fear. We live in a culture of uh, strong women and weak men. And that's considered a virtue, guys. It ought not be. It's your job to act the man, not hers. Get before God and tell him you refuse to be a weak man. Again, God will help you get there. He is a gracious and loving God, but it starts with the desire, I will not be a weak man. Go through one more observation, then we'll come up for air on questions. The opposite of brave is coward. Coward just means fearful. Cowards are those who fear men or their wives and circumstances more so than God. Read I'm going to read, have Dusty read Revelations 21, verse 8. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Notice that cowards is mentioned first in that list. And cowards go to hell. Again, I... It's in your best interest to pray that you are not a coward. And I find that marriage has a way of tempting a man to turn in, turn away from being brave and being a coward. So I just encourage you to cry out to God. Let that not be. So a couple applications will come up for air. We have all been cowardly. I've been cowardly. Go before God and ask forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness for doing that. Ask for forgiveness for the times you were cowardly and pray for his help in transforming you. And on the other side is, don't be a bully. Some men have a problem when it comes to uh, being a soldier or being a warrior. Some men have a problem picking the sword up and fighting when he has to fight. Other men don't know how to put it down and decide to destroy 
everything and everybody in times of peace. Know when to engage in battle and when to walk away. Ask God to help you discern between the two. Any questions on being a godly man and how it impacts marriage? See, the beautiful thing about speaking on Friday night is you guys are exhausted. And I can just put you into a coma. No, I'm not taking your question, Michael. Yes. Can I go back to purpose? No. Yes, of course. Forgive me. We, we think about ourselves individually having purpose a lot. Uh, are you saying that a marriage unit uh, corporately has a purpose? Yeah. It, you know, Matthew 19, the Pharisees say, any reason for a man to divorce? And he said, for this he said, uh, have you not read from the beginning? He created them male and female. And then later he says, and for this reason, a man shall leave his father. Um, yes, there is a, depending on what you mean by corporate purpose, I, I do believe that marriage is a part of your individual purpose. And God uses it and will hold you accountable for how you steward it. You might want to define corporate purpose. Corporate pur- between the man and the wife, the two of them. And I think I heard you say earlier that the whole family unit has a purpose. Yeah. I deduce that from when God giving Adam his job and responsibilities and then creating Eve to help him accomplish that. See, I would say that Eve was created to help the man accomplish his purpose, amongst other reasons. Do you help your kids find their purpose? Do I know if their kids what? Do you help them? Do they find their purpose in your family unit? Yeah, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, one of the jobs of a leader, and this is where we're going, is to get everybody going in the same direction. That includes your kids. Children are commanded to obey. So the family unit has a purpose. The kids will, especially in the instance of marriage, move out from underneath that purpose and define their own. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Um, In uh, Genesis, we were reading earlier... It talked about the purpose was to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth, that they may. It's not just man. So I believe a marriage unit, God and God made man and woman to be the strongest bond on earth. And when it's it's where when a man and woman are walking together, it's it's the, the strongest unit and the most powerful thing on earth in, in walking in the spirit. So I think that uh, I, I believe you're in the right, on the right track, but what you just said sounded kind of off to me. That means I'm doing my job. <laughs> now, if I, I think I, I don't, I guess I don't, uh, I don't get the disconnect, but 
um, talking about the the importance of of the marriage. I don't know where the Bible verse is on this one, but I think it says, "If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy." Um, not that that is biblical by any means, but it's. I think it does speak to everybody's agreement that how important the marriage is, and and I titled this "Till Death Do Us Serve." Um, so I think the husband has tremendous responsibility in investing in his wife, but serve him well because it touches every area of life, in my opinion. Okay. Anything else? Moving on. Okay. Let's talk about something easier. Let's talk about authority. Where am I? Nope, we're not going to talk about that yet. Oh, here we are. Okay. It says in, um, back to Matthew 19, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The authority structure of marriage is separate from that of the parents. Children are under the authority of their parents. Until marriage, or some other poten- uh, potential opportunities, but marriage is a coming out from underneath of your fa- your father and mother's authority and starting a new individual unit. The two shall become one flesh means the two shall become one family. It's a family. It's what that saying set up a new family and new authority structure. Children are commanded to obey their parents. We're commanded to honor our parents. Those two are different. And marriage is one way that the authority structure transitions from that of the parents. You know, it's funny. It, it, it's reflected. We, we've seen a father give his daughter away in marriage. It's probably a tradition that we, that we do, but that's what's being modeled at that point. It's the father giving his daughter away to the authority of the new husband. So in a biblical marriage, Christ has authority over the husband, not the parents. So application, get meddling parents out of your marriage. The husband should recognize and react to the parent that attempts to manipulate or control you or your spouse. Heard a conversation going once about a question that was asked a bunch of guys was, the holidays coming up, are they stressful for you? And everybody said yes. And the reason... And the final analysis was the expectations that family had upon them. One area of application, guys, is the fam- from an authority perspective, the husband and wife determine what's best for them, not the, fi- not the parents. Another aspect of it is the wife is under the authority of her husband. Read uh, Dusty, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. 
But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. This verse will not sell well in our culture. Feminism is real, it is violent, and will not affirm this in any aspect. We're all, in some aspects, affected by it, by our culture, but... The Bible's clear. The wife is under the authority of the husband. Authority is given to the man in marriage from God. He does so back in Genesis 3 where he tells the wife, you will desire your husband and he shall rule over you. Another aspect is authority is needed to accomplish purpose. In the rare instance where two parties disagree, never happens in marriage, authority makes the decision to move forward. The, the word authority is defined as the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. Again, countercultural. Authority is inferred by the command to wives to submit in everything to their husbands. There's five... The command to the wives to submit to their husbands mentioned in five different New Testament books. And what that means is that except for the breaking of the commands, the husband has the final say or is the final authority in all things pertaining to marriage, except for the breaking of the commands. Take a quick break, ask any questions, and then we'll move on to uh, responsibility that that carries. Okay. One thing to observe. Um, read Genesis 3.17, please, Dusty. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns... That's Sorry. It's okay. God judges how the husband executes his authority or the lack thereof. Notice that Adam's curse is because he listened to his wife instead of the command of God. So it is with us. The authority that God gives the husband can be misused or neglected, and the godly man should be terrified by this. With much as who much is given, much is expected. Okay, a couple applications, and we'll come up for air again. Ask your wife what is making it hard for her to submit to you. It's a dangerous question because she'll probably tell you. Ask Jesus if there's any areas of your life that you're not in submission to his authority. Interesting that will... The temptation is to be a hypocrite. 
If you're like me, I'll expect my wife to submit to me and then forget about the responsibility I have to submitting to God. It's not good leadership. So does my wife look at me as a man under authority or as a hypocrite? Remember, she is your helper. God gave her to you to help you accomplish your purpose. Get her input on how authority looks in your marriage. Ask her, ask her what is hard about her submitting. Is it because she has a worldview that's biblical or a worldview that's cultural? Or like my wife, she just had never heard it ever before. So it's in your best interest to help your wife understand the topic of authority and the responsibility it carries. I'll stop there. Any questions you guys have on authority in marriage? Okay. All right, back to Matthew 19. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined, let no man separate. He says, They shall leave, shall become one, and let no man separate. God expects the husband to be obedient. If you hear nothing else in what I'm about to say or what has been said, hear this. Obedience to the New Testament commands trumps everything previously mentioned because God hinges his relationship with us on it. I get some verses, but I just want to make sure that point is well, well understood. It's hard to have godly purpose or godly authority or being a godly man if you remove obedience from the scenario. It's not hard. It's impossible. Okay. To illustrate why it is so important, um, two verses for you. John fourteen twenty one. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. He who has my commandments and keeps them will be the person God discloses himself to. One more. 1 John 2.4. This is uh, said negatively. The same thing said negatively. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. To say that you know God... Outside of obedience, the Bible calls you a liar. Truth is not in you. God created man, he created woman, and he also created marriage. He sets the terms and conditions of what those relationships will look like, and notice that he did not consult Adam nor Eve in the process, and he does not consult us either. God expects his children to obey. Application. 
Stop fighting or resisting God's authority and simply read the Bible every day and just do what it says. Real simple. So that's obedience in general. We're going to step into obedience to husbands. But any questions on obedience in general and the importance thereof? Perfect. Okay. We're almost done. All right. There... As I was doing this study, I, I was looking at commands specific to the husband. I found 12 of them, and then I just stopped because I got overwhelmed. So I wanted to talk about two of them, and it's arbitrary. I have the other ones listed, should you guys want to know what they are. It's important that you know what the commands in the Bible are to husbands. I'm just not going to have enough time to talk to you about them. So... Let's flip to this one. Everybody flip to Matthew 5. Dusty, will you read uh, verses 27 and 28, please? You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Observation. Sex is only God-approved when it is expressed as serving your wife. Every other type of sex is called fornication or adultery. Sex is only God-approved when it is expressed as serving your wife. Every other type of sex is fornication or adultery. Note that God charges the man who lusts with adultery. Like cowards, adulterers go to hell. Application. Do not defile your marriage bed with pornography. Never look at it again. Covenant before God that you will pay any price, including the removal of computers, internet, and mobile devices if necessary, to resist that temptation. There was a day when you had to go looking for it. It now comes after you. The struggle is that we see these things as computers, mobile devices, internet as a good thing. And they can be used for good. But do not let the good that those devices represent enslave you to the evil that they can be used for. It's not worth it. Jesus says in Matthew 5.29, it's better that you tear out your eye. The point he's making there is it's a serious deal. Today, in our culture, porn stars are elevated as celebrities. Hopefully that's a newsflash for you. 
Any questions on this joyful topic? So you're saying you can commit adultery on your wife with your wife? Because you said that any sex outside of servanthood is adultery or or fornication. So you can commit fornication with your wife. Or said another way, you can lust on your wife. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're saying. The comment of serving your wife with sex comes from 1 Corinthians 7.3. Christ stands up and says, I came to, be, I came to serve, not be served. You can use your wife to meet your needs, but you're in sin when you do that. Don't know if that's the same category as fornication, but you can use your wife to meet your own needs, and that is a sin. But I do think that's different than how fornication is defined as sex outside of, outside of marriage. Which, I'll give you the verse. What, help me clarify. What, what you just said. Go ahead. You said I, uh, about serving myself with my wife is a sin. Is that, I mean, is that you're stating something that you, that's what you believe, or are you, are you, is that scripture you're talking about? I didn't read that. No, I, I, I'm just looking for my cross-reference. Conceive, but with humility of mind, let each of you consider one another as more important than himself. Please use the mic. I I lost the cross reference on that. I'll have to get back to you. But it's Mark. I think it's Mark ten forty five. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That's where you got that quote. Yes. Okay, does anybody have any suggestions on how to deal with that? I mean, knowing, you know. You yeah. Know, I mean, this This is like, it's, I feel like I'm in a twilight zone. Most, most of us get married. Is, you know. Most of us get married for what the wife can do for me. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. 
Because that's my, that was why I got married. Yeah. I come and read in, in Ephesians 5.25, love your wife as Christ loved the church, which we're going to next. And Christ says, I will meet your needs. You look to me to meet your needs. Your job is to serve. And that applies in the arena of sex, too. So your wife... So but, I you, mean, it says love my wife as Christ loved the church, which means Christ leaned on the church for support, for, you know... I mean, I'm... I You know, I want to love my wife that way, but there are times where I, I need to lean... If I'm not leaning on her, I'm going to wander off... You know what I mean? It's uh, I I I need to lean on my wife. That's that's you know. I think we read that earlier that I'm I'm better with a woman, or I shouldn't be married. So if I'm married, who do I lean on? Yeah, I'll, I'll you know. I mean, she's she's my wife. So I'm just confused. I mean, I, yeah, I, what no, you're saying sounds great, but you know, in real life, you know, I'm. Yikes. You know. So I think what you're saying is that you have to use your wife. I'm saying that she's my wife. You know what I mean? What it's, you're saying is you, you know, I it's better that I lean on my wife than risk have, you know, temptation around me or have, you know, I mean I'm I'm a man. Yeah, I'm, I you know, I mean, that's it. I'm, I am a man. So, I don't know. I just, I, I get real confused. I mean, I understand. I absolutely agree that I certainly need to submit more to, to Christ. But the truth is, I'm, I'm a physical man. So. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not disagreeing. I'm not saying I can't relate with you. I'm just saying the Bible says you're not to use people. You're to depend upon God for all of your needs. My God shall supply all your needs. That includes the area of sex. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm saying that's what the Bible says. Okay. Okay. Yes, sir. I. Well, there's a very we, big difference. We love to talk about sex. Okay. Now we're now we're awake. All right. <laughs> yes, sir. Brent. Just because God says you don't use other people to meet your needs doesn't mean that God will not meet your needs through other people. Thank God for that. Amen. Your focus, however, needs to be on God meeting your needs and trusting him to do what he thinks is best for the meeting of your needs. As soon as you go and use someone else for the meeting of your needs, it gets ugly because you start to view that person as utilitarian rather than of eternal worth. Yeah. No, I... Thank God for that. God may use my wife to meet my physical needs, and praise God for that. But that's totally different than me using my wife to meet my own physical needs. No. First Corinthians 7 says, um, don't deny the meeting of your spouse's needs. It doesn't say do not use your spouse to meet your own. Yes, Andy. Come on. I was just going to make the comment that, that to you that it's our wife has the same commandment to us 
to lay her life down and that our body yeah. belongs to her. So it's the, the idea of being equally yoked, I think that's the important part of being equally yoked in a marriage is that you both, as you get into a marriage, have that perspective that my body's not my own. I'm, I'm here to give and not to get. And that is what make, makes the marriage fruitful. You don't have the, you know. It's just funny. I, I'll, I'll share a personal story. I talked to my wife recently and I said, hey, um, here's a list of what I perceive your needs to be. And there was like six different things on there from communication to emotional. I had physical on there. I'm like, just rank them for me as far as how you feel I should focus. Freaking physical was all the way at the bottom, you know. I'm like, seriously, what can I do to move that up the list? <laughs> She's not allowed to listen to this, by the way. Did you ask her what her list was? Because that's how it moves up. Yeah, I did. That was, I asked, I wanted her to focus, yeah. Yeah, guys, not only, you know, the, the first step is not to, we have so much illicit stuff coming right at us at 100 miles an hour. Um, the first step is to avoid that lusting can take place over the internet, but lusting can also take place as you see a person running down the road. Um, lusting can even be, to Craig's point, after your own wife, um, because lust is pornea. That's where we get the word pornography. God calls us to agape love, which is doing what's best for the other person. And the hard part about it is we're left in utter faith and dependence on what that looks like. So. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Okay, so up until the time that you are married, looking at different women till you find your wife, is that considered adultery because you're lusting for these different women? Yes. Or fornication, probably better. Hey, you're marriage is the only institution where sex can be expressed and be God approved. I remember thinking when I was single, it gets easier when you get married. Married guys are laughing, you know. It's just not easy the way you look at it, it's what it comes down to. This is very difficult. Any other questions? We're gonna talk about yes, sir. Do you have Hebrews uh 13.4 on your list there. I think I have everything on my list okay. here somewhere. The reason I'm suggesting that is because you're talking about a lot of don'ts. And this is a do. It says, let marriage be kept honorable in every way. And the marriage bed undefiled. Yeah. For God will judge those who commit sexual sins, especially those who commit adultery. So, yeah. and, and focusing on the positive... Everybody knows what it means to defile. And if they don't, God's given them the, the spirit to let them know right and wrong. So if it feels wrong, it probably is. I might modify that and just say, if you're in doubt, ask God. He'll guide you. To, to get to have the right feeling. You can ask your wife too. That'll clear it up real quick. It's my experience. But no, you're absolutely right. That's the point we're making is 
um, what serving your wife in the areas of sex looks like. He defines. Yes, sir. I had a quick question, um, kind of going back to the authority in the home. Okay. And so I was thinking about, so if you leave this conference <laughs> and you ask your wife to submit to your authority, yeah, like what does that look like? And then also, how do you implement obedience in a home if you're married to a woman who is culturally Amen. Christian versus biblically? We're going here now with Ephesians 5.25. It says, um, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That love means doing what's best for her. The question I ask you is, is it in her best interest to be outside of your authority? Now, the how-to, I can tell you what not to do. I'll just share my story with you. Um, it's very important on a high level, though, that you start to understand where your wife's coming from and where her views of authority come from. And there's passages in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 11 is a good one, where she can start to be educated on that. But for me personally, it was a very violent process. Um, important. And there are ways to do it and do it well. But I am not a good resource for you on that one. Nathaniel, right here, is he's awesome at it. <laughs> Sorry, but front row. So, does that answer your question at all? I, I, think, I think it starts with the word getting educated together on what the word of God says about authority. And the question you have to ask is, is authority a good or a bad thing? Most of us rile at a cop that pulls us over. But Romans says that all authority is from God. And whoever resists authority resists him. And authority is kind of on every page of the Bible. So authority from God's perspective is a very good thing. It's just hard to find it, that, that thought process in our culture. And for your wife not to have cultural thinking in that area is a miracle of God. So it's an important job. Hard, but important. Yes, sir? Wouldn't the starting point be focusing on her and serving her? I mean, that, that seems to be, you know, when it says you're talking about uh, love your wife as Christ loved the church, that seems to be a pretty good starting ground. What the heck does that mean, though? What, what does what mean? Loving, Christ, loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Serve, lay down your life, lay down your life for your uh, wife, just as Christ laid down his life for us. Amen. Amen. Yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful place to start. Credibility, to your point, how are you... The question I ask myself is, how am I with authority? If I'm going to come and tell my wife to come underneath my authority, and yet I resist authority in other areas, it kind of makes me a hypocrite. So I think serving your wife as Christ served the church is important, but also not being a hypocrite would, be, would take you a long way. That being said... First Peter 3 says, even if you're 
even if you are disobedient to the word, the wife is to submit to you. So it's in her best interest to submit to you no matter what the circumstances is. But I do think there's a good way to go about it. And we can spend the rest of the weekend talking about what ifs, but yeah, I agree with you. Amen. Crystal clear? Okay, one more and then we're, we'll call it a day. Um, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Uh, what the heck does that mean? And how do I know I'm doing it good? Um... The more I study about Christ, the more I realize I have no idea what his next move is going to be. He hangs on a cross for people that are crucifying and spitting on him. And he says exactly what I would never say. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. So, to love your wife as Christ loves the church is a all-consuming on your face before God, help me figure out what this looks like in every single circumstance. <clears throat> Approach. You know, Matthew twenty twenty eight says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve but to be served, I'm sorry, did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Um if we love our wives, we are her servant. Doesn't mean we're foregoing our other responsibilities. As far as leadership, correcting, interceding. But we're her servant. So I went to my wife the other day after I studied this. And I'm just like, amen, I'm her servant. So I'm like, Carrie, do you view me as your servant? No. And I'm like, what? but my Bible study says I'm supposed to. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And she says, well, well, I mean, you serve, but you're not my servant. And I thought to myself, so that means I serve on my terms, not yours. Well, yeah. So just so you know, the person that's preaching this is still struggling in this area, too. Christ emptied himself out for his church and loved his church. That is the role of a husband, to put her needs ahead of yours and to convince her that that's what you're doing. So we're at it. We're at a time. Any last questions on this? Yes, sir. I feel like you kind of opened up a can of worms with that because... Um, if our if we're supposed to be serving and meeting the needs of our wife, then is that our ultimate purpose? Going back to the first point, that women were designed to help fulfill our purpose. So is essentially is that our purpose? Is that our ultimate purpose? No. Marriage is a part of your purpose. Remember we talked about Adam, he had a he had a job. He had an environment that he did it in. 
Um, so marriage is a part of it, and serving your wife is a part of marriage. Christ puts high emphasis on that. But part of serving, I mean, you look at how Christ interacts with his church. Peter, he comes to Peter and says, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter says, no, you're not. And he says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. So I love Peter. He says, well, in that case, give me, you know, wash my whole body. And Jesus said, no, you're already clean. So I, I learned there that Jesus served his church by teaching and correcting the church. And the Bible, I mean, the New Testament's full of how he interacts with his church. So serving, absolutely, critical part of marriage, but that's not the only part. Okay. Let me pray for us, guys. Let me just say before we pray, um, this is hard, and trust me, trust me, all of us are working to get better at this. You do have a a God that wants to help you become the man he created you to be and the husband he wants you to be. You have faithful men here who will help. You have your wife who will help. These are all great resources so that we can stand before and hear, well done, good and faithful slave. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you just, I just pray for our marriages. God, we freely confess we have no idea how to do this in a way that brings you glory. And uh, we just ask that you help us. Help us to close the gap between who we are and who you want us to be. God, I pray for oneness in our marriages. And I pray that you bless our marriage and that it is pleasing in your eyes. And you make up for all the gaps in the, in the areas where we err. God, we want to be the men you created us to be. Bless this weekend. Bless our families. Bless our marriages in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you.